Welcome to part four in this mini-series through Paul's letter to the Colossians. I hope you're enjoying listening as much as I've been enjoying preaching it. We're in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 through to chapter 4, verse 1. Let me read it for us. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, Submit yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. We've deliberately linked these verses together. Sometimes they get separated after verse 17, but we've deliberately kept them together. Why? Because we need to remember that when this letter was written and then read out amongst the other church, there were not chapters or verses. The letter and the teaching it contained were expected to be treated as a whole. This doesn't mean that Paul wasn't covering distinct areas that he wanted to teach into. Paul was constructing an argument, laying one principle upon another as he sought to lead his readers in truth. But his theology was holistic. Verses 15 to 17 that we just read seem to talk about corporate worship. Do you know why? Because they do. They're talking about corporate worship. And then we seem to have this kind of shift into relationships and work. We've kept them together in this preach because they should be kept together. We must not separate what we do in corporate worship through the singing of songs and our act of worship in our life, in our relationship and our workplace. There is no sacred secular divide in the mind of God. It's one of the reasons I believe that Jesus worked before he did ministry. Jesus probably worked from about the age of 12 or 13. His public ministry started when he was 30. So on on that reckoning, his, his kind of work was like 17 years. His public ministry before his crucifixion was three years. Why did Jesus do that? Well, I think because God wants to honour work. God wants to honour the daily grind, the day by day that most of us are engaged in. There is, as I've said, no sacred-secular divide. 
in the 17th century. The Carmelite monk, Brother Lawrence, reminded us in his seminal work, Practicing the Presence of God, that every area of life matters to God and should be viewed as worship. Here's a quote. Brother Lawrence says, We ought not to be weary of doing little things, for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. This 17th century monk, who'd retired to a monastery to do prayer and be spiritual, discovered spirituality in the mundane, in the practical in the day-by-day life of working in a monastery. And he is drawing on passages like this one. What is Paul doing? Well, to a church that is potentially being distracted from truth by religiosity, either going back to old religious practices or taking on new kind of super spiritual wisdoms, to a church that could easily get super spiritual... Paul pulls them back and says, no, faith in Christ will impact every area of your life, your marriage, your parenting, your workplace, whether you're a slave or a boss, a husband or a wife, a child or a parent. So what does the text say? Now, of course, Viewing these verses from our modern culture, it's easy to get distracted because there are phrases here that seem to run against our current culture. A modern reader can be distracted by concepts of submission in marriage based on gender and especially the concept of slavery. Surely we shouldn't be reading passages that seem to honour slavery. These are huge subjects. We do not have time to unpack them fully here. However, when approaching both these issues of submission and slavery, there are things we must remember. Firstly, this. Biblical submission never gives license for oppression or abuse. Jesus submits to the will of the Father and to human authority in his incarnation. Jesus points to that foundation of humility and submission that every Christian should have and is sorely missing in our modern world. That is a biblical divine principle but it should never be used to support oppression or abuse in an organisation or in a marriage. We must never go there. Similarly, the biblical narrative and teaching around the treatment of slaves or servants or labourers do not at any point provide a foundation for modern day or recent acts of slavery. They are abhorrent to the grace of God. The use of Scripture to justify slavery past or present is totally wrong and should never be supported. What you find in Scripture when there is teaching about how a slave should be treated, as in this passage, it always points us to justice 
and righteousness and protection. But at times, they're working out a narrative in a culture where slavery was commonplace. What then can we learn from these verses? Well, the first thing we need to realize is that they would have presented radical teaching at the time. In the early verses, Paul has laid a foundation of unity. He's laid a foundation that all people, regardless of culture or race, are of equal value and standing in the church. He now applies that principle into how we are to treat one another. Now, notice Paul starts, sorry, notice how Paul upholds the position and the rights of the powerless in his culture. Women, children, and slaves. So throughout this passage, Paul is lifting up those who would be downtrodden in that culture. He starts by saying, yeah, wives should submit to husbands, children should obey fathers, and workers, slaves, should obey their masters. All these practices would have been constantly upheld and reinforced by the cultural norms of the day. Paul upholds this, so seems to support it and does support it, but he radically changes the motivation behind those practices. In an oppressive culture, which is any culture where the foundation and motivation of obedience is fear, to be obedient will always come from a place of pain. Paul knows this. And so what he does is he teaches a way of submitting and honouring and being obedient and working, not from a place of pain, but from a place of worship. So look what he says. Wives submit as is fitting for the Lord. Children obey for it pleases the Lord. Slaves obey your earthly masters in everything, not only when their eyes are on you to curry favour, yeah, but actually do it with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters. Remember, Paul is writing to Christians here. He's writing to people who have come under together the lordship of Christ. So he's saying, yes, wives, you're still to obey and be, submit to your husbands, as your culture is saying, but you're now not doing that because of who your husband is, you're doing that because of who Christ is. This is now an act of worship. The same is true for children in the family. The same is true for slaves. Submission, obedience and hard work are no longer dependent on the worthiness or quality of a husband, a parent or a boss. They are dependent on the character of God. The question is no longer, does my employer deserve my best? It is, does Jesus deserve my best? The question is no longer, is my parent, my father, a good father? It is, is my heavenly father a good father? The question is no longer, does my husband deserve me to honour him? It's, does Christ deserve honour? Now, I know that we walk a tightrope here. 
But, and if Paul did not balance these instructions with parallel verses, we would be in danger of permitting oppression or neglect or extortion. But before we move on, hear Paul's heart in these verses. As we've said, Paul is looking to lift up the oppressed. Paul is looking to give back control and power to those who might think they have no control and no power. Paul is saying to those who might feel, I've got no choice, you have got a choice. You can now, in Christ, choose to honour those. You can choose to come under that submission. You can choose. You have power. He's causing people to look at Jesus, who modelled perfect authority in humility and perfect service and submission to his Father's authority. So having sought to empower the powerless, Paul now challenges those who have power in his culture. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This teaching would have been countercultural and radical. You do not need to be a biblical scholar or have much experience to see what Paul is doing in these statements. At a time when men held all the cards, as husbands, as employers, when free men held all the cards, Paul is calling them to use that power with humility and with grace. What does he say to husbands? Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, you could see that as a throwaway comment. Oh, love your wives unless you realise that word love is the word agape. Agape love. Where, where else does Paul use that phrase? 1 Corinthians 13, agape love. Love that is always kind, always hopes, always perseveres, always forgives, always looks for the good of the other. Agape love, which is rooted in Christ's love as Christ lays down his life for people and for the church. This is no small thing that Paul is saying to these men who have been used to hold power and just do what they like because they happen to be the ones that hold the power in that culture. And Paul is saying, no, you need to love your wives. You need to not be harsh with them. You need to create an environment where they will flourish and be blessed. The word for harsh is the same root word as the word for embitter. And so Paul is linking how a husband should care for his wife to how a father should care for his children. In a world where children really should be seen and not heard and could be just pushed away. No, you must love them too. You must not discourage them. You must enable them to grow into who God wants them to be. The word is active, pointing to active care and provision. Your workers need to be cared for. Paul is saying this, the responsibility on those who have power is to use that power to lift up, to encourage, to enable, to bring justice into society. 
Paul is linking all of these attributes, all of these actions with their faith. Again, that's why it's linked to worship. Paul is saying you cannot put your hands high in Sunday morning services and then be harsh with them against your wife or your child or your worker during the week. These two things work together. They are both worship. They both matter. If we say we are in relationship with God through Christ, that relationship must impact every relationship and every space that we occupy. What a tragedy it is in our world when there is a separation between our worship on a Sunday and our work on a Monday. There is no sacred-secular divide. It all matters to God. We said at the beginning that verses 15 to 17 should not be separated from what follows. And so we're going to return to those verses now. Because let's be honest, living the way that Paul describes is hard. It's tricky, isn't it? It's hard to work hard for an unjust or discouraging boss. It's hard to work hard when you feel that the pay you receive at the end of the month is way below what your work has deserved. It's hard to care for a lazy or cynical colleague or junior. Submitting to a husband who is not present, even when he's present, is difficult, sometimes impossible. Children are exhausting. And let's face it, kids, parents can just be annoying. It's hard to do this. What if you're an orphan or single or out of work? How do verses 15 to 17 help us? If there's no separation between the sacred and the secular, how does the sacred help? Let's read them again. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now here's four things that I think corporate worship can do to flow into our workplaces and our daily relationships. Firstly, Paul says, let the peace of Christ. It's so easy, isn't it, to hear teaching, feel bad, feel guilty, Repeat. (laughs) But the peace of Christ has come to us. Where these instructions may cause turmoil in our hearts and minds, we need to receive them from a place of peace. Not our peace, but the shalom of God in Christ. A peace that in Scripture is connected with the Holy Spirit. Let's look at these words of Jesus in John's Gospel. Jesus says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, 
the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. When we gather for corporate worship, which is this key place of equipping for walking with Christ through the week, we come into a place of peace brought by his Holy Spirit. Notice how Paul again calls us members of one body. We've mentioned this before, we'll mention it again. None of us are meant to work out this teaching on our own. We're part of the church, the body of Christ. Christianity is a team sport. That's why we gather, to remind ourselves. We might be the only Christian in our household. We might be the only Christian in our school, class. We might be the only Christian in our workplace. But we gather to remind ourselves we are not alone. Paul goes on to say, let the message of Christ dwell amongst you. Well, what is the message of Christ? It's the gospel. Paul David Tripp, in his excellent book called Lead, reminds us that everything we do is worked out in the context of the gospel by which we got saved, i.e. the grace of God. How do we work through some of these relationships? How do we submit to those who are imperfect, care for those who are imperfect, love those who are imperfect, nurture those who are imperfect, work for those who are imperfect? Well, we remember the gospel. Christ died for me while I was his enemy. The grace of God was expressed to me when I was dead. Christ first loved me. I wasn't looking for him. I wasn't worthy of him. By grace, I've been saved. Therefore, if we let the message of Christ dwell in us, of course we can honour those who don't deserve honour and encourage those who don't deserve encouragement and nurture those who don't deserve nurturing and keep being patient with those who don't deserve our patience because that's how God treats us. And so we can treat others like that. I am to have the same attitude of gospel grace that Christ had towards me. And fourthly, we're reminded of gratitude. Throughout this letter, we're reminded of gratitude. Do all of this in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, we read. A constant awareness of the gospel and of how God treats us does not only transform how I treat others, it also should engender within me an internal attitude of gratitude. Paul gives us this glorious description of Holy Spirit-filled corporate worship where we can allow the peace of Christ to dwell amongst us, where we can remind ourselves we're part of a body, where we can hear again the gospel of grace and see how that's applied to us and we can apply it to others, and where we can be reminded that we have so much to be thankful for. There is no sacred secular divide. 
Sunday and Monday are intrinsically linked because our faith should be worked out in the workplace and in the home as much as in the worship service. But the worship service should also equip us for the workplace and for the home. We must not lose sight of the importance of our daily lives and we must never decry the value of gathering together. As the writer to Hebrews puts it, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Friends, we gather so that we're equipped when we're scattered. And having worked out some of the pressures of being scattered, we come back again to gather and be encouraged and equipped, and then we go again. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that every area of our lives matters to you. Every space, every relationship. And we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, And we thank you for the gift of your church. We thank you that when we gather, you equip us. And when we scatter, we can live lives that bring glory to you and bless those around us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.